Hello and welcome to Connected, the podcast about people, media, ideas, marketing, technology and everything that's good. Uh, I'm ASD, a digital man here at Mediacom. Hello, I'm Sue Uniman, I'm Chief Strategy Officer at Mediacom. And I'm very happy to say that in the room with us we have Claire Beale, Global Editor-in-Chief of Campaign. How are you? Hello, I'm very good, thank you. Very... I've just had a really nice catch-up lunch with Sue, yeah. so yeah. I'm feeling in a very good mood because she always inspires me and uh, makes me feel like I'm on a mission in life. Oh, lovely. Oh. Ah, I was invited to this. I was in the hot office setting up mics. <laughs> um, one day. One day. One day I'll make it. Um, the first question is, in a world where digital promotes personal curation and one-to-one communication, is the need for quality editors greater than ever, do you think? Complicated well, one to start with. Well, obviously I would say yes, because I'm totally biased. But I just think even as a an ordinary human being, we have so much information um, that's coming at us all the time. Um, and it, actually finding the right things, finding where the quality is, um, is harder and harder. So curation, I think, is a really important role for um, for people like me to play. But um, whatever aspect of life you're in, I think if you can find a trusted guide, uh, why would you not want that? Um I do think, again, because of the nature of my job, I do think we should all be prepared to pay for that trusted guide, that trusted curation, and the somebody that will um, select quality for you out of this mire of sort of just cheap slew of um, off-mediocre content. So, yes, I think that's absolutely a need for a quality editorship uh, and we should all be paying for it. So I, I can't remember when we first met, but we've known each other for a while. We're obviously both very young. When we I started. think we, we're probably at kindergarten. Yeah, we were at kindergarten. <laughs> it's child labour. Um, and throughout the time that I've known your work, your standards are high, consistently high. And in fact, in some respects, I think there's been moments during um, the the last sort of decade or so where if it wasn't for you, I wonder what would have happened to the industry almost in terms of reporting and, and, yeah. and kind of a, and a, and a kind of a, a, a proper perspective on what's going on as opposed to everybody's point of view. Um, is that something that you actively consider? And w- when there is so much more churn through of work than there ever was, because like any other medium, you've had to move from one publishing deadline a week to... In fact, with the relaunch, uh, yeah. a perspective across across more than one industry and 24-7 editing. How do you keep those standards high? Um, I think for me it's, it's because I take it all very personally. I feel that I'm very visible uh, in my job. And obviously we serve, even despite our, our broader purview, we, we serve a, quite a neat, identifiable industry. So I feel like I know the people that I'm writing for, we're writing for. Obviously, I don't. There's, there's hundreds of thousands of them online um, who I, I've never met and never will meet. But it feels very personal. So I feel that everything we do is a reflection of me and my team um, and that we owe it to what I consider to be a vibrant, inspiring, exciting industry to reflect that back at people in the industry by um, 
by delivering quality, by doing justice to the work they do and the roles they play in driving business. Um, and it, it's, it's a responsibility for, for us to be the industry magazine, to be as good as I think the industry itself is. And globally, 24-7, marketing, media, advertising... Does it give you sleepless nights or do you think it's or you've got the people or the techniques in play to make sure that there's not stuff creeping through on some website somewhere that oh, I'm sure I'm sure there's there's always stuff that everybody puts out that you sort of think if only I had a bit more time we yeah. would make that better um, but I'm pretty confident that we're we're always we've got a, a fairly good benchmark of quality and if we hit that all the time and then exceed it as much of the time as possible then 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 I'm happy yes. um but yes it's campaign is is a global brand now our industry is global um and with digital content it is always there and there's always uh things happen late at night things happen at the weekends mm. and you've got to get stuff out so there is a tension between being fast and getting information to people as quickly as possible at the right time right place um but the joy of uh digital publishing is that you can go back and you can improve things you can add to things yeah. you can change things it actually was much harder in the days of print where you put things out once a week and it was there forever mm. on a paper and if you screwed up which which we have done once or twice in our time, um, there was no taking it back. Yeah. You couldn't remove it. You couldn't amend it. It was there. Uh, so actually, one of the benefits of, of 24-7 publishing mm. is that you can... Um, things are a bit more fluid. You can real-time react. As, yeah. as And because I think the other thing is, is that, you know, whilst you don't know everybody that reads you, there are some very, very senior people who have your mobile number and will react very quickly if they read something that you... I expect you could have tell us lots of stories about that, Claire. Yeah, there's, a, there's always the sort of late-night email exchanges where people are complaining about things and um, expecting immediate reaction. And actually, I am always on email and always on my phone. And I, you know, my sounds a bit sad maybe but I I enjoy my job so much that I don't sort of think right I'm going home now so I'm I'm not doing my job anymore yeah. uh, I have such a sort of hunger for always wanting to know what's going on and and for being um in the thick of things that I quite like those those late night email exchanges even if they're sometimes aggressive and uh, complaining but you know I'd rather tackle those things and let them fester so um so yeah i i yeah i'm i'm always on yeah <laughs> uh, so into your your career and how you've got to where you are what risks have you taken throughout your career to get you here um i suppose one uh, probably the main risk and it may it, it may not have come off i don't know but is actually to stay doing pretty much the same thing for a long time uh, so I have been at Campaign for a very long time um, and the industry's grown and my role has grown and Campaign has grown through that time. But nevertheless, I've stayed put and I know that when I interview people, 
um, I always start, if I know that they've been doing the same thing for a long time, I start off with a sort of negative impression of them before <laughs> I've, I've met them because I think, well, you must be a bit dull, you must be stuck yeah. in a rut, you know, this, is, yeah. this isn't exciting. Um, so I think that's a risk to stay, uh, to, to not put yourself about a bit and try lots of different things. Uh, for me, that has paid off, I think, because it means I'm incredibly experienced uh i know most of the people that i think i need to know um i've got sort of uh maybe friends is not the right word but i've got a lot of people that i can call on um, and they care about you well i don't know whether they care but they they'll certainly return my calls i know people that care about you <laughs> i'll return my calls and all of those things mm. are only assets that you build up over a long period yeah. of time the trust yeah trust as well you know yeah. you i have a store of trust i think people they know what they know that they can trust me and that actually counts for me you can also see out. through people as well in a way that i think other people can't i mean i'm actually thinking of a an incident where i didn't want to tell you something and we're not going to mention what it was but you probably might might know and you actually looked me in the eye and went no 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 that's yeah that's fine <laughs> But that's, that is the Which testament. Which I find very unnerving. But it's testament, isn't it, to um, to being around a long time. And and your perspective, I think, is second to none. So, you, you know, when when the new, new thing comes out, you do know whether it's actually new or if it's just a replay, a rebranding of something that was uh, new a couple of years yeah. ago. We should point out to all the people that don't know me that I am only 25. Yes, yeah. Um, yeah. And looks 18, so... <laughs> Um, but yeah, I think that that actually was a risk. Yeah. So why did you stay, and why didn't didn't you not move? Was it because you were building that social or professional currency, or why, why did you stay? I, do, do you know, it's because I've always really loved my job. Yeah. Um, you I've know? got I've got a point of view about this, because but and I know I would say this as well because I am one of those people that also hasn't moved, and yet everything's changed. Is that I sometimes think that if you love change, there's more change staying where you are than moving where you might be going to do the same sort of thing that you were doing somewhere new. It's actually a different way of embracing and, and enjoying change. So, um, Yeah, we're both fortunate in that we work in an amazingly dynamic industry yeah. and for dynamic companies. Um, so that helps. You know, if we were working in a different industry that hadn't been disrupted to the same extent, then... But then I think also people that change jobs sometimes just... Uh, they're changing jobs and going and being the, the same thing where they yes, were. Yes, mistaking know. changing a desk for actually yeah. changing. Wherever you go, you take the weather with you. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, so I, I've stayed because I love it. I love the people I. I've always loved the people I work with and my team. I've always had been surrounded by amazing people. Obviously, they've changed <laughs> over the years. Yeah. Um, but Campaign is a brand that attracts brilliant talent. So um, I've always felt very fulfilled with the people that I work with. Obviously, the people in the industry, some of them, like Sue, I've known for a long time, and those relationships have just grown more and more important. Um, but then there's always new people coming in at the bottom, and that keeps things fresh. So it's about, yeah, I suppose it's a passion that's kept me, kept me here. It's interesting that you'd call it a risk. So that's a, yeah, it is, it is interesting. Yeah. But I love the insight that's come out about there's more change if you stay where you are. I love that idea. Maybe. Yeah. 
Um, change the subject to one of our regular questions. Um, which book? Do you give away books as a gift? And if you do, which book do you most often give away? This is a really pathetic answer because I have <laughs> given away one book several times in my life. Not the same book. The same, not the same edition of the book. Because right. <laughs> it would be rather dog-eared by now and actually covered in vomit, I suspect. Because it's... Uh, <laughs> What what to expect in the first year of being a, a parent? Okay, because um, I, like most women or mo- most parents, you, that that when you first have a baby, your first child is utterly overwhelming and disruptive and um, frightening, uh, and, and like nothing else that you. Uh, yes, through. you yeah. can't prepare for it. Um, but uh, that was that book is the closest I've ever got to a manual for. <laughs> what to do um you know how often should you be giving your baby a bath and Hmm. you know all of that sort of minutiae like that so that's the book it's really not a very exciting answer i wish it was a a book of amazingly inspiring poetry or you know philosophy or something but no it's how to survive that first year of parenthood fantastic (laughs) um so claire if we gave you a billboard for a week and you can put anything on it what would you where would you put it and what would you say there's probably I'm sure there's a really an answer to that question that is about doing good for the planet or society or helping the poor or something Um, so I would I'm sure not be the best person to give this billboard to I can think of other people I would give it to but for me just because we're talking in a professional context I would love to put up um, so I'd put it outside. Can I only have one, or can, can I have, have as many as you want? And okay. personal context as well. Okay, no, this is utterly professional. I'd put it outside um, CEO office headquarters, uh, big company headquarters, and it would be about the power of creativity to drive business growth and the importance of what we all do in advertising and marketing to actually drive profits, drive the economy. Um, and create future wealth for everybody because uh, I think that point um, doesn't get made often enough and I would love to just scream, scream that from billboards around big company HQs for, for a week or longer if I could negotiate <laughs> an extension on that. But, um, and I think actually that there is, there is economic good, there's social good, uh, there's there's sort of cultural good and environmental good comes out of our industry if we're allowed to um, do the best job that we can and generate profits that we can and plough those back into some of those social good things. So I'm sure I could justify it in my head that I hadn't used it to, uh, to save lives or um, uh, help people in poverty. Uh, well, it, I think it, ultimately it could do. Yeah, it, could, it, 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 it needs champion, I, I agree. What habits, routines and processes have you learnt and developed to help you be the person that you are? Um, gosh, I'm not very good at processes and routines, but I guess that I live in a world of constant deadlines. Uh, so there are immutable routines and processes that people force me into adhering to, mm. otherwise my brand would never produce any anything and we'd never put a magazine out and our website would be all dusty. Um, 
So I have those things imposed upon me, which is a good discipline because I, I'm not a particularly disciplined person myself. Um, and I often think if I didn't have to get up and go to work or have children that to get up and feed, mm. I'd be sort of uh, in my pyjamas all day, mm. not washing my hair. Um, so uh, I think more what I've learned to do is put myself in positions where people make me do things. Um, uh, yeah, I'd be an awful self-starter, an awful you, entrepreneur, are you, I think. Are you, are you good at deadlines yourself? Um, no, but I have fear. I have fear of letting people down. Right. I have fear of authority coming down <laughs> upon me. Um, <laughs> You're in charge. So, uh, yeah, I have, I have fear. Fear is what makes me adhere to mm. them. So generally not. I think uh, like a lot of people that have deadlines in their life I feel like I produce better work when the deadline is has sort of been and gone um and I'm in that state of sort of terrified action um uh that's when I think I, I actually work better if I know I've got three months to write something uh well I would never do it so the idea mm. of I uh, know mm. Sue you've uh, written a book mm. uh, which is coming out in September the idea of working on a sort of long-term project like that where I had to manage my own mm. time um I I would leave it all till last week, <laughs> till last week yeah and not sleep um yeah. at yeah. all for a week well um, I, I as I say my other half reckons that's true writing is to uh never stick to the deadline but mm. uh, yeah I like a deadline so <laughs> So this is our most popular question, um, and it often confuses, so I'll give you an example after I've asked it. So it says, if I had to summon you as a genie, what five commonly available objects would I have to put in a circle to summon them, the magic Claire Beale genie? So, for example, you might get some Jaffa cakes and some chopsticks and a football for me, and then suddenly I'd appear. What would it be for you? Okay, five things. Right, well... Um Two of them, two of my favourite things, uh, sushi and sake, I think. There we go. And I'd be there. Um, I suppose I suppose if you put my kids in and sort of held me to ransom... They're not commonly them, available. They're not commonly no, available. No, no, okay. so I'm not allowed No, they're those. definitely not commonly available. <laughs> Only in my house. Um, okay, sushi and sake. Um... Net-a-porte, right, yeah. maybe, um, although I do send most things back because I realise when they arrive that I can't afford them. Um, so that's three things. Uh, my, uh, my MacBook Air there we go. That's a good one. is constantly attached to me um, and is my classic sort of window, window on the world. So I think I would... If you took that off me... Um, All falls of, down. Yeah. 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 So how many is that? That's, That's four. four now. One more. Um, probably chocolate. There we go. As well. Yeah, because that would keep me going. Whatever I had, whatever task I had to perform. Sure. What, what kind of chocolate? Just um, so we don't get it wrong. I quite like things with sort of unusual combinations. So lime and chilli type that kind of mm. thing. mixture. Okay. Yeah. Nice. yeah. Yeah. Like that. Fancy chocolate. And then and now um, there's a house fire. Um, your family, your pets are all safe. What three specific objects would you grab as you exited the building? I'm going to sound sort of mawkish. Um, okay, so 
this is a bit mawkish. Uh, my dad died a couple of years ago, and there's a couple of things I have that he um, had from when he was a kid that he uh, held very dear and were things that I grew up um, sort of revering because he loved them so much. Um, and they're simple things. One's a, a sort of musical... Uh, Swiss chalet that he bought when he was on a when he was a schoolboy on a school trip to Switzerland. Well, like a music box. Yeah, yeah, so you open it up. It's like a trinket box, yeah. but it's a sh- Swiss chalet. Um, uh, so when he died, I uh, snuck that away. Um, and he also had he loved playing the guitar, and he had a game from when he was a little boy, um, uh, a wooden. Uh, carving of a, a man playing a, uh, a guitar and he grew up in um in the war um came from really um straightened family and straightened times uh and never had very much when he was growing up so those couple of things that he did have uh meant a lot more to him than any of the things that I had as a child or certainly any of the things that my kids have because mm. uh, we come from much more disposable culture. So those would be two out of the three things. Um, but I, I mean, it's classic math, but my photo album, mm. you know, that is my... The older I get, the harder it is to actually remember the things that actually happened without looking at the photograph and, yeah. and getting that memory back through through the pictures. So, yeah, all my uh, my grandparents and, you know, my childhood is in that photo album. Uh, so it would definitely be that. Sorry, that's uh, really predictable. No, but a lot oh, of no, people no, no, still say photo albums, and it does make me wonder what we're going to do when we aren't printing photos out and collecting them. SD because cards. We're going to have to save all our SD cards. <laughs> Yeah. or the clouds it's, it's just, all in the that's clouds that's just not a thing is it it's all in the clouds no no, no well also you're not I'm not entirely sure you own it really no no no, no, no. no. Um, and it makes it hackable in a way that you know your photo album actually isn't yeah thank, thankfully and nothing in my photo not. album that anyone would want to hack no. so it so feels far. like it feels like I don't know if we if we're still doing this ASD in yeah. 10 years time which we will do which we will be <laughs> 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 doing yeah. that the <laughs> photo album question is going to be anachronistic and I wonder what people will say instead but maybe I mean there's a lot of retro things coming back like vinyl vinyl and letter writing and still like books and there is I think that sort of um, you know your world distilling your world into a physical um, shape uh, becomes more important things that you really do value like your relationships and how letters um, capture that or, or the music that's really important to you and how a physical object that you can hold and sort of... Well, and people still love the physical magazine, don't they? That's the other yeah, thing. Yeah, they do. Yeah. I was going to um, say that has to relate back to work because in there's no appearance of scale. If we're talking digital and where yeah. we can all be on the same website and see different ads, mm. there's no appearance of scale and mm. we don't have that relationship with other people yeah. or even that web page. So but that's why broadcast or publishing can't die because of the method of delivery more than the message. I think it's a really exciting. We whereas, won't let it die. Where, and where, and where, whereas you know, you know that you've arrived when you get featured in the diary column of Campaign Magazine, yeah. which was this week. Yeah, always. <laughs> no, it's very. Um, it's On true because yeah, yeah. you can't put unless it's physical. <laughs> you can't you. put it in a photo frame, yeah. hang it on your wall, send it to your mom. Mm. Put it in your. I totally agree. Scrapbook. But it's still got that power, hasn't it? It's interesting. 
Cause because we're, cause people predicting that it wouldn't. It's tangible and it's lasting. It actually goes back to your first question as well about curation. Mm. Because if everything in life is on the cloud and the cloud had infinite space, mm. there is no need to select anything. Yeah. Nothing has more meaning than anything else because it's just dumped in this big reservoir where everything sinks to the bottom. But in a printed magazine or in your photo album or in a physical record collection you have to make choices and the only the best makes the cut yeah. and if you've made the cut in a by being featured yeah. in a magazine or a particular albums made a cut because it's stored in your um in your album storage unit or whatever yeah. one would have these days cupboard. a cupboard yeah um you know that's that's yeah. a mark of of having reached a level of quality, yeah. um, and that's why curation that's why curation is important, and that's why making that making it into a curated space make, means something. That's the answer I wanted. Congratulations, <laughs> mum. I remember I tried to explain it. My mum, when I was a kid, my mum would give me one slice of Sarah Lee Gatto. I'm going to say it's Sarah Lee Gatto. And, you know, I always wanted more. She said, no, you'll enjoy it more if you just have one slice. And then, like, the first week I got to uni, I went and bought a 16-person Sarah Lee Gatto and stuffed my face. And it was awful. It was the worst experience. And it devalued um, it devalued the original slice because I had too much of it. And that's what digital... Digital is a wholesale ghetto in the way that it devalues everything, but it, you can do everything and you can be everything. And your mother was right, which is they always are. But don't tell her. I, I do yeah. think she listens to this. Um, now, we have these, which are from the School of Life. They're a, a toolkit for careers. There's 100 questions. Um, this is a surprise for every guest. So um, there's three questions here. If you could choose one, read it, and then answer it. And there's no way you could have been prepared for this. Okay, how might a job be creative even though it doesn't lead to any obviously creative output? Um, I think it's a really interesting question um, for our industry at the moment, um, particularly sitting here in a media agency. Uh, I started off my job as a journalist writing about media and media was the, and was the sort of opposite side of the coin to creative. Yeah. So my colleagues that covered creative agencies sat over one side of the news desk and talked about all sorts of interesting words and pictures and things like that. And I sat over the other side of the news desk and talked about numbers and trading and negotiation and mm. and the le whole lexicon around the business was had this dividing line down it down the middle of it. Um, increasingly, the word creative has become a, a democratised word and mm. is applied now to everything from people that run um, you know, d data banks to, uh, of course, media agencies um, uh, and all sorts of other occupations that we would never have thought of um, when we use the word creative and many of which do not produce anything that you would necessarily immediately identify as, as creative. But I think a job can be creative um, if, it's, if it takes uh, the norm starting point of that professional requirement and does something surprising different um, expansive with it then then a, a creative impulse has been applied um, and that I think is a really valid use of the word creative mm. even in an industry like ours where there is a much more tangible creative product that that is produced from from some people in the business, um, we can all 
be creative now. It's a different type of creativity, but... Um, Do you think there's a hierarchy? <coughs> um, I think every everybody involved in the process of creating communications um, for it to be done well has to be creative. So I don't think you can say there's some there's a company over there that's also involved in, but they do the creative bit and we don't, mm. um, or they do the more more creative bit and we don't because um, just to, to come back to a sort of basic definition of media, you, you know, if you guys aren't making sure that people see the work, mm. it doesn't matter how creative the work is, unless you're creatively doing your media thinking yeah. um, placement, um, then then the whatever creative work has been done by a traditional creative agency is meaningless. So there shouldn't be a hierarchy. I think there are hierarchy in terms of quality. Uh, mm -hmm. So I do think um, some media agencies now do produce creative work um, and some of it is good. I think as a, as a sort of generalisation traditional creative agencies are better at traditional creativity yeah. than media agencies are at that traditional creativity mm -hmm. for the moment but that may all change mm -hmm. uh, so I think there's a hierarchy there perhaps in terms of quality but not in terms of what type of creativity is more important mm -hmm. and what creativity means that's really that's really cool it's, it's very really clear lovely. it's very good yeah. to get the editor-in-chief of worldwide of campaign to define that for us actually yes. yeah. um that's it so Claire Beale, thank you very much for your thank time. You. If you want to follow Claire Beale, it's at Claire Beale, C-L-A-I-R-E-B-E-A-L-E -E -E on Twitter. Um, you're a good follow. I follow you. I've been following you for a while now. Thank you for your time. It's been really great. That's a pleasure. Thank you both so much. Thank you.